are listening to the Sankofa Council of Milwaukee Radio Broadcast, where their host is Dr. Janine James, Sister Ipua Ma'at, Sister Osati Anki, Brother Kwasi Claire, and Brother Kojo Robinson. The Sankofa Council of Milwaukee Radio Broadcast is an affiliate of the Black Reality Think Tank Network, and it broadcasts on the Time for an Awakening radio platform. Contact them at Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. I repeat, Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. Finley Medical Clinic. We serve uninsured, underinsured, and insured individuals. Open Monday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Urgent Care Clinic Friday and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Call for an appointment at 414-988-3079. Finley Medical Clinic is accepting new patients. Vaccines and screenings for uninsured, underinsured, and insured. Located at 10721 West Capitol Drive, Suite 110. Call our office for an appointment today at 414.
pour, we'll pour. Ashe. We'll pour to the creative spirit, the great Ashe out of which we all emerge. Ashe. We pour to that creative spirit by whatever name we know it, whatever name you hold in your heart, in your mind, whatever name your ancestors gave, whatever name you learned as a child, whatever name you believe it to be, whatever name you believe it to be in spirit or in science. Ashe. We pour to the first human beings who came into existence on this planet, the first human beings who raised the first structures, who cooked the first meals, who taught the first children, who had the first children, the first Africans, the first people who stood upright, who walked, who figured out how to stay on this planet, who figured out how to pass that knowledge on to their children and their children's children, the mothers and fathers of civilization. Ashe. We pour the next libation to their grandchildren, their children's children, those who raised the great early civilizations of Kemet and Kush and Monomotapa, the great medieval civilizations of Ghana and Mali and Songhai and Kanem-Bornu. We pour to those who great the great civilizations of the Igbo people and the Hausa people and the Kikongo people and the Mambara people, the great Monday civilizations, the great Kikongo, the great civilizations of Southern Africa, the Bantu people, the great civilizations of Southeast Africa, the Dinka, the Shilla, the Nur. We pour to those millions who raised the foundations from which the world would learn what it meant to be human in the world, Ashe. We pour to their children who upon the arrival on the shores of people they had never seen before, found themselves captured and marched overland, found themselves perishing by the millions before they were held on the holding cells and the open air pens on the coast of West, Central, Southern, and East Africa. We pour to the ancestors who did not know as they were stripped of all clothing and sent denuded into boats, packed like animals, and strewn their bones across the floor of the Atlantic and the Indian Ocean. We pour to them who in the last moment on Africa grabbed the sand and grabbed the dirt and put it in their mouths and understood that the only thing they might have to preserve their place in that continent was their memory of that place and their ability to pass it on to their children. We pour to them. Ashe. Ashe. We pour to those Africans and their children who finding themselves cast adrift in Santiago, Cuba, who found themselves cast adrift. In Puerto Spain, Trinidad and Puerto Prince, Haiti, who found themselves cast adrift in New Orleans and Charleston and Mobile, who found themselves cast adrift in Salvador, Bahia, who found themselves cast adrift in Barbados and the archipelago that formed the wayward and the, and the windward coast. We found them in these places, learning Portuguese and Spanish and French, whose often first words was, oh my God, oh Madre de Dios, who found themselves praying to survive and pass on to their children the memories. We pour to those ancestors who are represented in the thousands, buried in all the square miles of where we stand, and who sit here, buried before us in 400 caskets, forged of wood from West Africa, with Adinkra symbols. Each one of them, each woman, man, and child, symbolic of millions. The children of those who could not be killed, we pour our shame. We pour to their children who somehow survived the hells of enslavement and fought for emancipation in the Caribbean, the French, British, Dutch Caribbean, who fought for emancipation in South America, who fought for emancipation in Central America, who fought the struggles we refer to as the Civil War in the United States, who came out of that, marched out of enslavement through Reconstruction and found themselves making great migrations, eventually ending up in places like New York. Their children's children, who making a way for themselves, became our great-great-grandparents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, our parents, 
those who when the first bones were discovered in this space held their hands and said stop no more we are here to speak for those who can no longer speak with their mouths we pour for those ancestors some of whom came to Howard University in 2004 and followed these caskets all the way back to New York we pray to the great ancestors the ones whose names we know and the ones whose names we don't and at this moment as we pour this libation I would ask anyone who feels comfortable to say the name of someone in your bloodline who is no longer physically here but who you know made it possible for you to be here go ahead let's hear the names Haywood Carr, Porter Griffin, Evelyn Glover. We pour to the names that we hold collectively. Ganga Zumba in Brazil. Toussaint Louverture, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, and Henri Christophe in Haiti. We pour to the great Avengers, Nandi of the Maroons of Jamaica. We pour to the great ancestors, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass. Say the names that you study. Who are the names of the ancestors that you have come to hold in your heart and your mind as you hope that you can do what they did for us, for your children and children's children? Let's say some of those famous names. Kwame John Henry Clark, John Dr. Jackson, Jacob Carruthers. And finally, two final libations. We pour to those who make it possible for us to do what we do. We pour to these rangers who stand guardian over this sacred space. We pour to these Africans and these folks who have come from Howard University, the staff, the faculty, the administrators who brought us here today to bear witness. This is not a libation, but an affirmation because their hearts still beat, their tongues still speak, their minds still think, and their minds still wish the best for us. We pour for all of those people who surrounded us on this journey today and made it possible for us to be here. We pour this affirmation of thanks, Ashe. Ashe. And finally, we pour to your children's children's children who will one day stand on this space and speak your name. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child.
Sati Anki, Brother Quasi Craft, and Brother Quojo Robinson. The Sankofa Council of Milwaukee Radio Broadcast is an affiliate of the Black Reality Think Tank Network and it broadcasts on the Time for an Awakening radio platform. Contact them at Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. I repeat, Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. 
Good evening, Hurricane, uh community family. Thank you for joining the Sankofa Builders tonight. Um, we're glad that, and we hope that you um, contribute to our discussion, which um, tonight is um, it's not your imagination. Biases in the medical records of the black population is really real. Um, how does recorded medical information help or hurt us? Have you ever reviewed your medical records? The electronic medical record system affords us to access to our health information in real time that wasn't provided and available to us before. So we're very happy that you're here with us and with the elders family um, who are here as well. I am Sister Ifua Ma'at. Um, with us is Dr. James, Baba Kojo Robinson, and Mama Arserta. And we are happy that you again, we are happy that you're with us. Um, tonight, um, due to the topic of conversation, we're going to um, start with the ancestral profile. Um, Sister Serta, are you um, ready to share with us? Yes. Good evening, um, Sister Ifu uh, Makat. The uh, ancestral profile this evening is Henrietta Locks. Henrietta Locks is best known as the source of cells that form the HeLa line used extensively in medical research since the 1950s. Henrietta Locks was born in 1920 in Virginia and died of cervical cancer in 1951. Cells taken from her body without her knowledge were used to form the Gila cell line, which has been extensively, which has been used extensively in medical research since that time. Lack's case has sparked legal and ethical debates over the rights of an individual to his or her genetic material and tissue. Lacks was was born Loretta Pleasant on August 1st, 1920 in Roanoke, Virginia. At some point, she changed her name to Henrietta. After the death of her mother in 1924, Henrietta was sent to live with her grandfather in a log cabin that had been the slave quarters of a white ancestor's plantation. Henrietta Lacks shared a room with her first cousin, David Day Locks. In 1935, the cousin had a son they called Lawrence. Henrietta was 14. The couple had a daughter, Elsie, in 1939 and married in 1941. Henrietta and David moved to Maryland at the urging of another cousin. 
Fred Garrett. There, they had three more children, David Jr., Deborah, and Joseph. On January the 29th, 1951, Lax went to John Hopkins Hospital to diagnose abnormal pain and bleeding in her abdomen. Physician Howard Jones quickly diagnosed her with cervical cancer. During her subsequent radiation treatments, doctors removed two cervical samples from Lex without her knowledge. She died at John Hopkins on October the 4th, 1951, at the age of 31. The cells from Lex's tumor made their way to the laboratory of researcher Dr. George Otto Gay. Gay noticed an unusual quality in the cells. Unlike most cells, which survived for only a few days, lax cells were far more durable. Gay isolated and multiplied a specific cell, creating a cell line. He dubbed the resulting sample HeLa, derived from the first two letters of her first and last name, Henrietta Lacks. The HeLine strain revolutionized medical research. Jonas Salk used the HeLine strain to develop the injectable vaccine, sparking mass interest in the cells. As demand grew, scientists cloned the cells in 1955. Since that time, over 10,000 patients involving HELUX cells have been registered. Researchers have used the cells to study disease and to test human sensitivity to new products and substances. The LAC family learned about the HELUX cells in the 1970s. In 1973, a scientist contacted family members seeking blood samples and other genetic materials. But inquiries from the family regarding the use of HeLa cells and publications that included their own genetic information was widely ignored. The case gained new visibility in 1998 when the BBC screened an award-winning documentary on Lax and HeLa. Rebecca Scoot later wrote a popular book on the subject called The Immoral Life, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Organizations have profited from HeLa since publicly recognized Henrietta Lacks' contributions to research. The Lacks family have been honored at the Smithsonian Institution and the National Foundation for Cancer Research. Morgan State University granted Lax a posthumous honorary degree. In 2010, Dr. Roland Patelio of Morehouse dedicated a headstone for Lax's unmarked grave. The Gila case has raised questions about the legality of using genetic materials without permission. Neither Lax nor her family granted permission to harvest her cells, which were then cloned and sold. The California Supreme Court upheld the right to commercialize discarded tissue in the 1990 case 
Moore versus Regents of the University of California. In 2013, German researchers published the genome of a strain of HeLa cells without permission from the Lax family. The Lax family has had limited success in gaining control of the HeLa strain. In August 2013, an agreement between the family and the National Institutes of Health granted the family acknowledgement in scientific papers and some oversight in the Lax genome. Dr. Gay, who studied Ms. Lax tissue, did not profit from his research. But over the decades, biotech companies have commercialized the sales and sold them, even as Ms. Lax's family never received any compensation. Fortunes have been made. Science has advanced. Nobel Prizes have been won. And most importantly, many lives have been saved. No doubt Henrietta would have been pleased that her suffering has saved others. But the end doesn't justify the means. Henrietta Lacks, immoralized through her cells, revolutionizing medical and biological research. May she rest in peace. Ashe. Ashe. Thank you, sister, for that. Um, before we really get into the the meat of our conversation, I would like to mention that the Sankofa elders um, are about making our brothers and sister problems our commitment to solving together. Um, the Sankofa Council of Elders radio broadcast is an affiliation of the Black Reality Think Tank Radio Network. Um, I would like to um, share, um, and I can stand corrected, um, it is um, our understanding that at this time, our guest, um, who we look forward to having a discussion with, um, is in the middle of dealing with another matter, and we pray and hope that um, things are working well for him. Baba Melvin Hines is currently not with us to start this conversation. We hope and pray that he will be able to join us um, during our hours together. Um, but I'm so proud and um, we are so blessed as a council to have um, a woman of distinction um, with uh, such a, a, a knowledge um, of medicine, um, our own Dr. Jane, who went to the ISU for undergrad degree in health information management. She also attended DePaul University where she received her master's degree in information systems and she um, is always advising us with medical matters and we're so blessed to have her she is currently um, she currently works at BDO as a tax business intelligent manager um, and so you guys are learning more about um, one of our sisters um, again I'm so honored and appreciate 
all of her knowledge, her um, push for black excellence in treatment for our community. And uh, I would love to have Dr. James um, start our, our discussion. Thank you. Thank you so much, my sister. And it is a pleasure to be with you today in a little different capacity. I was looking forward to our guests, Mr. and Baba Melvin Hines, and he's the first person that I ever met who studied health information. And in fact, that there is an undergraduate degree that exists related to health information. And Sister Fua mentioned and had a question related to medical records. And she has been working uh, very closely with the health system recently. And so some questions came to her mind, and that's what led us into preparation for this particular program. Um, Sister Fua, tell me, or tell if you would tell our listeners, what were you thinking about when you asked about medical records and, and how that information is used? Well, um, how I got started, um, well, from personal experience, I know it, ex- I, I feel it exists. Um, but recently I heard a, um, another discussion on the radio about um, biases for our medical and medical records, uh, specifically regarding people of color and um, how um, things are written in the um, in medical records for people of color. Is, and my, my focus was on, on blacks, our black population, um, and how um, I think of, of uh, our ancestor that was profiled um, of how her cells were used um, without her knowledge and how um, the, the traditional um, discussion of um, how we can um, uh, uh, deal with um, pain, our pain tolerance is a lot higher and as if we are, they dehumanize us again and as if we don't feel pain um, and in my personal experience um, that I shared with you um, during a high-risk pregnancy, um, I, uh, and what I mean by high-risk, I was hospitalized several times. Um, I couldn't keep food um, intake, so I was placed on a pick line um, to keep me fed um, during my pregnancy, and I kept losing weight. Um, information was put on my medical records and later after giving um, birth and I was blessed to to, uh, give birth to a healthy son um, I started to um, deal with side effects though physically um, myself due to that pregnancy and so I was going through physical therapy and and other um, visits and treatments through the medical field and um, 
I don't remember exactly who I had this discussion with. I can't remember if it was a physician or a physical therapist, but the discussion came up about me being a difficult patient um, because I was refusing a lot of the medications that they wanted to prescribe, and most of it was pain medications. Um, and and it, it was um, inaccurate as to what type of patient I was, at least in my, in my mind, because first of all, I wanted to um, nurse my son, and I didn't want to take these medications and have them in my system and pass them on to my infant. Um, and I did express that to the physicians. However, the person I had the discussion with, I asked them, what else did it say? And it did not give that explanation. Um, it was not in there on record. So it, it kind of gave me like a flag that is as if, if people work with me, um, they would have a difficult time working with me. So I shared uh, my reasoning with the individual and I could tell the body language changed a lot and uh, and they seemed to be more open and willing to work with me um, so I just thought it was interesting that um, I was misre I felt I was misrepresented um, and I also had an issue with the fact of why are you just going to medicate me when I want to know the cause and can we turn some of what's happening, the symptoms and, and, and the diagnoses, if we can turn some of that around. And so that kind of made me want to have this discussion with the community and our family um, that I know I can't be the only one. So I'll give it back to you, Dr. Jane. Okay, well... What you're describing, uh, Sister Fua, is very common. And uh, I'm a person who, in my role as a physician, but even beyond that, have reviewed many records. And it is fascinating the kinds of things that are in the records. And many times the information that is there is incorrect and even worse than incorrect made up and I I see this as um, a problem and others have seen this as a problem and I think that you may have experienced with your current uh, medical visits that you may be given a copy of today's visit which gives what's in the medical record and there's several reasons for that uh, part of that is really uh, what Sister Afua has described where there is uh, information that's there that could prove to be detrimental in your care. So yes, there are things that may be written in there that suggest that you are a, uh, a non-conforming, uh, combative, uh, various adjectives that are used that ultimately 
really describe something that that doesn't have much to do with making a diagnosis and recommendations for your care. And so the benefit of you receiving a copy of the record, and I would encourage you, uh, if you don't get the record at the time of your visit, because maybe they haven't completed it by the time you're ready to leave, most of the health systems do offer what they call the patient portal. And it is in that patient portal that you have the opportunity to receive information that was previously not so available to you. And so you know now what was written, what the findings are, meaning what did they uh, record in terms of your examination, uh, their, their what they call impression, that means what you thought or what the doctor or provider thought was going on, and then the plan. Those are the things that are uh, planned to help to make the diagnosis to determine what your condition is and to hopefully treat the problem so that it goes away or control it. And so it really throws it back in our court to uh, review it and report inconsistencies report where there's something that you feel is inaccurate and um, and that report then should be uh, updated by the person who put that information in. I recently um, had an experience as a patient and I requested the record. And I received it. And in that record, it describes an examination of me, which never took place, which it reported findings from that examination, as well as recommendations about what needs to be done. And I took that report and sent a letter to the uh, medical board for that particular state that this information that had been entered about me was inaccurate. And And not only was it inaccurate, it was a lie because there was no exam that took place. And of course, you know, there's a bill a big bill often, and the bill is based upon the exam that's performed, the amount of time that's spent. And so I think you'd be really surprised to find out it's not what actually took place. And so the record is used for developing research, 
arriving at conclusions of the research and for, for someone who's in the system and you realize that people are not being factual is very troubling and I recognize most people don't realize that's what's going on and that was going to be my question of what 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 flagged you to even to request that um, and and it sounds like when you received the bill and probably the uh, explanation of payment is when you then said what I didn't I didn't see anyone on that date is that what happened what prompted me is a, a couple of things one is when the doctor came into the room and this happens to me often the doctor came into the room and says hello i'm dr jones and then mary uh what do you what did you come here for and i often will say thank you dr jones i'm dr james so i make it clear to them in the beginning who you're dealing with. Uh, and then I found that this doctor was really kind of condescending to me. And um, I was asking for a assessment that I was able to submit for uh, an insurance issue and he basically made a recommendation based on an exam that he had not performed and so it was that uh, what I felt to be disrespectful uh, interaction with me from the beginning I wanted to see just how far this went and this is not the first time I've seen this happen um, but that's what prompted me to do this and so um, in fact um, very frankly uh, when I have been at the table so to speak when we are reviewing outcomes often where something bad may have happened and the case is reviewed meaning the medical record and the person who's reviewing it will give an impression uh, that may say this problem that developed was not preventable when when I review the record and I look at the details that exist that in fact this problem was often pre preventable but even the person who's reporting the information may fail to offer all the information that is in the chart so what can I say there's a lot of lying lying that takes place 
within the health system and consequently this will serve to provide inaccurate information. Similarly, this inaccurate information which can serve to be detrimental to patients is when patients knowingly give the wrong information. Good example, patient tells you I'm having um, a problem and the doctor prescribes a medication and you come back to see them in a week or two weeks, uh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm still having that problem, doctor. And so the doctor may respond by repeating the dose or giving a higher dose than what they did before. Now, the reality in this is the patient never took the medication in the first place, never picked it up from the pharmacy. So no, the problem is no better. But you have not been fully honest. And so the doctor gives you more of the medicine. So now you take the medicine and you've received too much of it. And so this works both ways where the information that is given is not correct. But it is what is used to care for patients. And if it's not in the record, it didn't take place. If it is in the record, it can be used as a basis, especially for billing purposes. And it is also being used now in ways that it never could before by being able to look at with the use of an electronic health record, it allows you to know how many people have a particular condition. It, learn, it allows you to know the ages of the people who are seen at that hospital or at that clinic, the race, uh, the gender, whether they have diabetes, how severe the diabetes is. So it's this kind of information that we now have that really is providing to us the information about the health disparities. So without the electronic health record, it would have been very difficult to provide this kind of information. Wow. Thank you. Um, for that um, vast array of uh, information, I, I guess um, I hear the twofold of the responsibility of the patient um, to be um, honest and and forth with of their information with their physician, as well as advocating for self from the standpoint of um, knowing what's, what is in their record um, and also um, um, be, be um, hmm, alert 
of what comes in the mail. Um, make sure that they walk away with their uh, with their summary um, from their visit um, and review that. Um, so a lot of this has to do with advocating for self um, because I know I'm kind of living that life with my mother and um, advocating for her health care right now. And sad to say, I, I advocate strongly for her than I do for myself. Um, and so I'm walking with her through it. I'm now um, um, looking at things um, that's happening with me and what I need to do for, for myself as well. Um, before we move on, I would like for um, listeners to um, call in if they have any questions, um, if they have experienced um, a lot of the biases. Um, the bias is an uh, implicit stereotype or prejudice that they've experienced um, in regards to health care. Um, is there bias in, in the medical field? Um, is another question that I'm throwing out. And this is for um, our, our panel with, uh, with our, our brother, uh, Bojo and, and sister, uh, auntie, if, you know, you guys can, can share, um, if you would like to ask, ask a question, um, you know, feel free to, to step in. Um, Brother Kojo, are you still there? Yes, yes, I'm. I'm still here and, okay. and listening very, very um, attentively to the conversation. And okay. a couple of minutes, we're going to have a, a sponsor presentation um, by Sister Auntie in a couple of minutes. But um, before that, yeah, I, I think um, there does appear to be a lot of bias in the medical profession, and I was just reflecting back on my own experiences. Uh, as a child when um, I had my tonsils removed and uh, my mother said that the doctors never told her that I fell off the operating table while I was under uh, anesthetics. Uh, but they never told her that. But she noticed in a nurse's report that that was so. And that was back in 1953. And she was young and uninformed and didn't realize that she could have sued, I think at the time, the Milwaukee County, probably the county, uh, Milwaukee County Children's Hospital. And then, uh, you know, I have a number of situations where in my history I'm looking back and I can see that things could have been done differently. Like when I had a what appeared to be a very bad sprain from uh, playing baseball in high school and they took me to the doctor and my thumb was swollen and a little angulated and right in front of my eyes the doctor broke my my thumb because he said it he had to he had to reset it without any kind of uh, anesthesia at all he just took his hand and, and broke it and then put a cast on me so I didn't I didn't think that was a lawsuit. I was only maybe 13 or 14 years old at the time. 
But, you know, that, that, those are just a couple examples that I'm reflecting back on. And then there was a case where I was in uh, New Jersey, and I had to change my flight because people I, people wanted me to meet with them. I ended up uh, changing my flight so I could stay over another day, and they ended up, you know, the travel agency hooked me up with a, a, a motel. I think it was a Motel 6. And I got bitten by, by bed bugs. And I'm very allergic and it really swelled up so bad. I had to change my flight and get back to Milwaukee as soon as possible. When I got to the, the hospital, the doctors were joking about next time I overheard the guy said, next time find a better, uh, a better place to have your party or something like that. You know, indicating that I was socializing. Uh, in the hotel and got but I was just so angry and upset. I wanted to sock the guy in the hit in the face. <laughs> but um, I, I, I felt that, Yeah, that was very insensitive I thought. Those are just a couple things that come to mind. And you and you know what's so interesting, um, is that, you know, not only are we dealing with biases based on race, um we have the gender biases of being a black female, um, and um, as well as uh, um, when it comes to our um, mater- maternal, maternity, um, um, birth, uh, oh, infant, infant mortality. Um, so we we face a lot, and then having a disability is, and being a person of color. Um, we we get hit um, from various angles. Um, sister, um, Auntie, do you have anything you'd like to share? Uh, yes. Um, I not necessarily with the uh, doctors or physicians. Well, yeah, it was kind of with the physician. A physician prescribed me um, a medication. And um, I had it sealed. And, you know, when you get the information, you know, the background information of the effects and what the that paper that they give you to help you understand the medication that you're taking. After speaking with the drug, the drugstore, um, the pharmacist, I got my medication. I'm an avid reader of my medication before I even take it because I, I want to make sure I'm aware of any side effects. And I found that the medication that I was given in the write-up, it said that for African-American people, this drug has been fatal. And I found that my doctor should have known that when she prescribed it. And the pharmacist didn't make a note of it when he asked me if I had any questions. Mm. So, I, you know, I was very concerned about it. I did ask the doctor. I did let the doctor know that it said that. And, you know, she didn't have any reasonable explanation for it. I didn't think. She didn't. She's like, oh, well, did you take it? No, I didn't because because of this issue so not only in the uh, maybe the physician you know physician care but mm-hmm. 
all areas of health care. So true. So true. I've experienced that also. Um, and I'm and I'm hearing more about it, just like with uh, some high blood pressure medications that um, black, that there there's a reaction for people, um, especially African Americans, that they have this cough that they can't get rid of. And I don't remember the name of the medication, but I have I'm hearing people now talk more about medications that are. Uh, uh, um, I don't know what the medical terminology would be, but their bodies um, are, are not conducive in taking that medication. If you don't mind, could you um, share our sponsor of uh, edocadvice.com? And then we'll go to the top of the hour. Okay, sure. Our sponsor, Edoc Advice, is a website created to provide a place to go to to get answers to your health medical concerns. Are you wanting more options than you feel you're getting? Let them help you problem solve. Go to their website and ask your questions. Their experienced professionals will help you obtain the help you need that makes sense to you. They do not replace your health professional or provide you care, but they can help you to become a better consumer so that you can get the best information to make a truly informed decision. They network with other professionals throughout the country and bring that information to you. That's www.edocadvice.com. E-D-O-C Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Um, again, we will be opening um, the lines for um, our listeners. Um, please um, share and contribute. We're, we're, we um, are um, excited to hear um, what you're feeling about this um, particular topic. Um, and right after the top of the hour, um, we will be opening up our phone lines and uh, continue the discussion with our um, our distinguished Dr. James. Um, and um, we're excited uh, that you're with us in this community family um, discussion. Dr. Jane? Looking Good forward to coming back. You know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me, yeah. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me. I'm feeling good Fish in the sea You know how I feel River running free You know how I feel Blossom on the tree You know how I feel It's an 
Finley Medical Clinic. We serve uninsured, underinsured, and insured individuals. Open Monday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Urgent Care Clinic Friday and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Call for an appointment at 414-988-3079. Finley Medical Clinic is accepting new patients. Vaccines and screenings for uninsured, underinsured, and insured. Located at 10721 West Capitol Drive, Suite 110. Call our office for an appointment today at 414-988. Sati Anki, Brother Quasi Crab, and Brother Quojo Robinson. The Sankofa Council of Milwaukee Radio Broadcast is an affiliate of the Black Reality Think Tank Network, and it broadcasts on the Time for an Awakening radio platform. Contact them at Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. I repeat, Sankofa Council MKE at gmail.com. We are back 
from our top of the hour. And we're looking for some more conversation. Yes, we are. Before, yeah, before we get started, I would like to um, share that um, our purpose of the Sankofa Elders Council, is, um, which is an organization to use African principles of unity and cooperation to create a healing environment for our community. Um, and this discussion, um, I feel, is about healing. It's about um, finding ways to deal with a matter that um, we live with every day. Um, we're about resolution, solving, and having discussions about matters in order to empower ourselves and our community. Um, and I really feel that this discussion is, is doing that. Um, I hope um, our listeners um, are feeling the same. Um, and at this time, we invite you and open um, our phones to receive calls um, for you to share experiences. If you know of any um, resources um, and advocate um, skills and techniques that have worked for you, please share with um, with our community family. Um, Dr. James? Thank you. And um, I appreciate having the opportunity to be here. And um, I'm, I would hope that this um, program will help not only our listeners, but also those who have been entrusted to care for us to hear what our experiences are. I can tell you, being someone who sits on both sides of this discussion, one as a health professional and two as a patient or the family member of a patient, you see that there are some real discrepancies. There is no discussion in the health system about our inappropriate behavior as health professionals. You will not hear a discussion within the medical departments about doctors or other providers lying to their patients. And I've often said I get tired of being lied to and being lied about. And so when you ask the question about our trust as a community, our trust in the healthcare system, and in theory, there should be that trust. But the reality is far from that. And until this is brought to light, and it won't be brought to light unless there are those of us who pursue careers in all aspects of life to know what's 
on the inside? What's what's the real deal that's going on? That I can understand the distrust when when we have these kinds of experiences and we don't have a voice or we have not used our voice in these issues and we have the opportunity to use our voice but one of the things that we need to know about in this discussion is that the health record is available to us. We must read it and we must challenge it. The drug you were speaking about, Sister Fu, is called lisinopril and it has been shown in the treatment of high blood pressure of black women to be associated with a cough. And I remember learning this and I was not interested in prescribing that drug, a very good drug for managing blood pressure, but I wasn't wanting to prescribe something that we had uh, data showing that this was the experience. And so I tried it out myself as a patient. I wanted to be on that drug because I wanted to see what this cough is. And I did experience the cough after being on the drug after about a week. And the cough was very annoying and persistent and it did not stop until I stopped the medicine and there and it still took about two weeks after stopping the drug before I no longer had that experience now I don't know what contributes to the cough um, I don't think or I'm not aware of the research or if there has even been any research on this um, uh, comp uh, complication or side effect. But that drug is lisinopril. And, Sister Afua, I would encourage you and I remind our listeners, when you have a problem with a particular drug or treatment, put that down someplace in your record, your personal record. I use my cell phone in my contact section and I write down those kinds of things in case I forget about it when I'm meeting with a doctor, if I've had uh, some adverse event, some complication, some side effect, I will enter that information so that I can very quickly pull that up because you would not want to be prescribed that drug having had that experience if you know what the name is of the drug but that is our responsibility to do that um, no one else is going to, to do that 
So I, I hope that we can get that point out uh, clear to our listeners of their responsibility in in terms of knowing themselves better than anybody else. You may not know what the reason for it is, but at least that you're able to share what the various diagnoses are that you have had before. It's about advocating for self. Um, and, and thank you, Dr. James, for that, um, because that's one of the things we need to work um, and be mindful of, as you talked about how to keep records of things so it's accessible when you're in with your doctor um, at your doctor's appointment. Um, I know at the beginning of, uh, of doctor visit, sometimes, I'm not saying all, but the medical assistants will ask you, do you have any questions for the doctor? Are there any concerns? Um, and that is the time to let them know, yes, I do have questions. So the doctor can, um, because that's my, my issue, um, and I'm kind of um, jumping ahead, but time, that time frame of, of meeting with your doctor. Um, so when you're saying, letting the uh, medical assistant know that you have questions and concerns, um, that that doctor should then um, set a little more time. I know recently my mother's um, kidney appointment. It, I I literally timed it. It was when the when the physician came into the room. It was a ten minute and forty five second visit. I'm I'm really um, I'm smiling because. Before you gave that time period, I was thinking about what the requirements are that many of the doctors have been uh, given when it relates to how much time to spend with you. And I think each person has a perception that the time that is taken or that is used is what is needed for your visit. But I have received my uh, in my contract working in various places, it might be that they want you to see six patients an hour. And what does that work out to be? Ten minutes. Uh-huh. So it sounds like your doctor with a little bit, a few seconds over time. But in that 10 minutes, if I have to see six patients an hour, that's that's 10 minutes. Um, and in some settings, the patients and I do not speak the same language. So I need an interpreter. So I am expected to spend five minutes with that patient because I needed to use an interpreter. And that does not include the time that it takes for me to write the note because I call treating the patient and treating the chart. And so the amount of time it takes to enter 
the information about the visit in the chart takes about the same amount of time as the actual visit took. So if I'm understanding you correctly, um, I, what I've heard, what I heard you just say, within that 10 minutes, you off, you, you're doing twofold. You are treating the patient and you're treating the chart within that 10 minutes. Yes. Wow. Now, and in my special, in my specialty, um, I may have to have the patient disrobe. Now, this is one of the reasons they ask you to disrobe before the doctor comes in because it might take me 10 minutes to get you to take your panties off. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's not an easy request. So that's time that goes into it. So if you can imagine you're coming in with multiple questions and I always find that it's helpful when people have a list of what their questions are. Mm-hmm. But in 10 minutes, we can't deal with five or six questions. So we have to boil it down to what is your most pressing issue that you would like to be addressed today? And we will need to schedule another appointment at another time to deal with the other issues. Unfortunately, medicine and health isn't that compact because you've got to know about some of those other issues in order to determine what is the best way to go about treating the patient. Hmm. Now, I've experienced, um, again, with my mom, um, one of her physicians, one of her specialists, literally we were trying to schedule an appointment and they, um, as they were looking through the appointment dates, um, they commented out loud that um, I guess the physician has put in there for more time for my mom because she does, she comes in with her questions already written out before um, we even the night, actually, the, the night before she'll have them all together. Um, and I believe she does prioritize her, her questions. Um, but it's interesting that they were looking for a specific time slot because he has noted, and they have, it's noted in there that she is to have more than 10 minutes. Whereas some of her other doctors they seem to want to keep it right within that time frame. And they know that she's a person who will ask questions. So I think that's kind of interesting. Well, that also means, and this again comes from being on the doctor side of things. Um, if I have too many patients that are like your mother and that I'm not able to get in and out during those visits, that will ultimately impact my productivity that is used to determine my compensation. And I may be um, penalized 
at the end of six months because I took care of too many patients that were requiring a lot of time. And so I would have to, if I'm going to really play the game that exists, I really need to figure out a way to move out of my practice some of those individuals that are too time consuming. This Uh is the business side of medicine that Uh patients aren't really aware that that's going on. So if you're taking up too much time and you're coming in too often, you're going to uh, impact my bottom line and it won't be uh, advisable for me to keep that patient and certainly not have too many of those time-consuming patients on my schedule in any one day because I'm going to be running behind and nobody wants to wait. Obviously, we're trying to be more efficient, but some things just take time. Yes, it does. So then with that, go ahead, I'm sorry. uh, Okay, and if you have an extensive health record with lots of problems on your problem list, lots of diagnoses, it does take time to review the record to see what's going on so that we don't prescribe medications that will uh, interact with one another and increase the risk of either the medication not working or causing um, an overdose of a particular medication. So you've got to know all of that information. Very true. So I was thinking when it comes to questions that um, a patient may not be able to um, finish having a discussion with the doctor due to time, um, would that be a good time to utilize the um, those medical portals to set up an account? Um, because I, I it's my uh, based on uh, what I've been researching. You can um, request, you know, like refills of your medication through those portals. Um, if you have any questions um, to the physician, you can also do that. Um, schedule appointments. Um, so would, would that be um, something to utilize? Um, and how often can a physician actually, um, you know, have time to, to review some of those? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, there is not much time. We call that admin time. There is not really much time in the schedule that would allow you to do something on behalf of the patient when the patient is not there. So persons who have questions that they want to ask of the doctor or they want the results of tests, you need to schedule an appointment so that you have justification, so there is justification for billing 
being able to bill for the time that has been spent with you. So these are some of the pressures that are placed on the doctor that most people are not aware of. They're wondering why nobody got back to them, no one talked to them, because you don't get compensated for that. Now, with telehealth, um, that situation is getting a little better. But um, really, the physician is penalized for spending too much of that time. He basically is doing it on his own time. Um, and therefore, there's no compensation for that. So you might understand uh, a little bit why people don't return your call, why people don't want to call in a prescription because they are not going to receive compensation or credit for having spent that time to refill your prescription we have to review your chart. So back in order to, the business, to do that. Back to, to the business of medicine then. <laughs> that wow. is the business of medicine. It's kinda wow. it's kinda scary and sometimes I will I will again experience the system as it exists. And to get a prescription refilled often takes three, maybe four days. I don't know what the experience has been of those of you uh, who are here with us, but uh, that has certainly been my experience because they've got to, the staff doesn't, can't refill it without it being reviewed by a doctor or um, a nurse practitioner and so now they have to catch up with them for them to have time to review the record and then put the order in for the refill. And wow. that can explain why um, several days go by. So this is a reason that you should request a refill of your prescription, not when you're down to the last pill. And that's something that many of us do because we're not really aware of how this system works. Now, I'm not saying this is the right way. I'm not saying that this is um, um, a good way of doing things, but this is the reality that if you need a medication and you call today, it may be tomorrow, two or three days later before that medication is available for you to pick up. And those are the reasons why. Yeah. Um, I, I'm learning. I'm learning a lot um, from the other side of the coin um, because some, some, of, some of what you're explaining, um, I have speculated but had really no knowledge of and so a lot of it is making sense as to why things um, occur like they do from the standpoint of um, the business however when we talk about the bias, bias 
uh, effects. Um, that to me, that's that's still an, another um, mo- uh, monster that we need to um, advocate and and to correct um, just on on our own regarding our own health um, and I would say the health of uh, our loved ones as well. Before um, you respond, Dr. James, I was wondering, do we have any callers? We do not. Okay. Maybe um, they're just listening and, and learning as um, as we all are. How about um, Brother Kofi and um, Mama uh, um, um, oh goodness, sister, I'm so sorry. Um, uh, auntie. I believe it's time for a sponsor. Um, we have to pay those bills, Sister Auntie. Sounds good. Sister Auntie, could you tell us um, um, how sponsors how um, can join and be a sponsor for us and that we welcome them? Yes, we do welcome sponsors. Sponsors are welcome. Do you have a service you want others to know about? Have you written a book we need to read? Consider becoming a sponsor. Send us an email at sankofacouncilmke at gmail.com. Support the program that is working for you to bringing you to uh, bring information that you will not hear elsewhere that you need to know. Contributions to support our broadcasting efforts can be made to PayPal. Sankofa underscore think at outlook.com. Thank you, Sister Fuller. Thank you so much. Um, any Anything you guys would like to share, Brother Kofi and Sister Ati? You know, I was just looking at the whole thing about race disparity. When you look at the various categories where people of color or people of African descent have been discriminated against, you know, since uh, we've been in this, uh, in North America. And, you know, of course, discrimination can occur overtly, you know, uh, covertly, and also uh, there's a, a, a new characterization is called implicit, uh, implicit bias. Mm-hmm. And I guess uh, an example in healthcare facility, you know, area of of covert uh, racism would be something like the Tuskegee uh, experiment, or maybe pulling the plug. Um, I remember when I was in, in law school, we used to have uh, a get together with the medical uh, school students and the business school students, together with the law students. And um, I remember having conversations with a brother who was in med school, and he was talking about how they make a decision to pull the plug. And I thought, oh, really? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But um, but now, you know, you got this implicit bias where it's really, really hard to pinpoint, but it seems like the results of implicit bias is that we have a lot of health care disparities 
And I don't know, maybe Dr. James has some experience with that. I do. And uh, it's interesting you brought this particular example and um, the pulling of the plug. So you're basically saying that that individual has a, a condition that is not felt to be one that will get better. And so you're basically having the healthcare system who is advising you of the condition of that person, but they are also telling you that there is no benefit, no point in continuing to offer support for that person uh, because they are not going to get better. And that often leads to a conflict between the family and the health providers because you become suspicious as to the reasons that this recommendation has been made. And you have perhaps a faith system that allows you to believe that that person will get better. And so you may say, I want this patient or this family member to continue to be supported. I do not want you to turn off those uh, mechanical devices that basically are keeping that person alive. And this is where um, I think it's important, although we don't truly have that in place, it's a role that I've played over many times to be able to review the record and be able to provide a more um, accurate assessment of what's going on and helping that family to make a decision. You're not making the decision for them, but you're basically saying um, that this condition may get better over a period of time, but what is the quality of life that this person will have? And this may not be acceptable for that person, that patient, just to be alive and not be able to function in a manner that they feel comfortable with. This is a reason that we're asked to complete what's called a living will, where we are stating before it happens what we would like done under certain circumstances so that the family is not expected to make these kinds of decisions under a stressful situation. 
where you're going to have perhaps different family members having a different view about what they think needs to be done. But we're also moving into an era where the physicians even have created some systems that allow them to bypass some of the wishes even of the patient in the living will. Um, I think some of this has to do with the use of resources. How many, how many thousands of dollars are we going to spend to support someone who really is not going to return to um, a level of function that they are accustomed to or would like to have? And this is the question that really we have to, to ask in these discussions. So it may be a matter of timing how much time to allow this person uh, to heal. And that's really what the, the supporting respirators do, for example. It's just simply resting that person's body to, if it's possible for them to heal, to do so. Yeah, I have a buddy who's in a coma right now. I just found out today someone I grew up with and played uh, high school football with. And I was informed that he's been in the coma for over 30 days. And uh, it sounds like, for me, an eternity. Um, how much longer would they keep him um, on life support? Much of that has to do with um, a number of factors. Some of it has to do with the person's condition. It has to do with their age. And it may have, have something to do with the wishes of the patient or the family. So if they're keeping them, you see, a person could be in a coma and not receive life support. So you're providing nourishment for them, liquids for them, keeping them clean, moving them, um, and their mind um, is not conscious, but yet there is a feeling that this individual may be able to heal and recover and wake up from the coma. So there must be some evidence that gives them the idea that they could, in fact, get better. And therefore, you would support them indefinitely. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm taking all of this in, and I so appreciate... Um, you, Dr. James, and, and explaining um, the other side of that, of the medical coin to us, and um, how um, um, business, um, um, healthcare business is, is, is um, how they view 
um, quality of life and health care for patients and all of that. If, but I, I have a question because we are getting close to our um, ending this important conversation. Um, let's focus on some ways um, in which you have been sharing through this um, entire conversation of um, how we can advocate for ourselves, how can we address the biases that may be in our medical records um, in requesting um, medical records um, um, and and then turning that into how to um, submit um, and uh, I don't what would it be a disclaimer or a complaint um, a filing a concern um, would that go through um, medical records would it be submitted to the um, administration of the facility the hospital or the clinic um, what would be some of the steps in, in, um, in order to if you find something it, one, well let me let me back up what would be the steps to request your medical records and then if you find something you want to, you have a discrepancy on the process of filing um, that discrepancy? Thank you for asking that question. That's an interesting one that uh, actually comes in up very often. And to, you can certainly request your record at any time and the question though is once the records have been requested who do you have that is going to know what to do with the record um, more than just the reading of the record but knowing uh, what the what's been going on? Mm -hmm. Who's been doing what? What were the what was the person's condition? Okay, so before you've asked for the record, you you might want to think about who it is that might have enough knowledge to know what to do with the record, and that record can be requested from the medical record department or health information. Um, and, and only certain people can request the record. So if the person who is the patient did not identify you as being that person who is your uh, health care power of attorney, and if you have not identified that, your children, just because they're your children, can't come and request the record. So these are plans that you have to put in place uh, in advance that would allow you to receive the record. But if you had a, getting to a complaint that you had, let's say you were not pleased by what you felt um, was respectful behavior, for example, the place to go with that 
Um, there's actually two places, and I'll tell you my bias about them. One um, is the administration office. So asking to speak to the uh, administrator on call. And those individuals tend to be more likely to follow up on your concern. Even though you may have reported this to the um, charge nurse um, or even to the physician, who do you go to to complain about the physician? So you could start with the administration office. However, most hospitals have uh, identified a person or an office that accepts complaints. And that person is not necessarily a health professional, but they will receive your complaint they will contact the people who are working in that particular area and they will state your complaint. And then some sort of a decision will be made and they will get back with you regarding your complaint. Uh, but I find that sometimes as well in those offices, they are not as um, um, uh, direct in getting your feelings known. So I have had to, on some occasions, even escalated that request to deal with the complaint with the, um, the organization that runs that particular hospital. And once you've gotten to that level with your complaint, and it really isn't that difficult, you can ask for that information, you can get that information online, what's the name of the company that runs that hospital? For example, in Milwaukee, you have... Um, uh, St. Francis Hospital. And St. Francis Hospital is run by Ascension. So that is the nationally recognized company. And you could speak to someone in that office to say, I have a complaint regarding one of your hospitals. I have a complaint regarding the doctor. The doctor may be a member of the medical group or may not be, but still they have the ability to get to those individuals to express what your concern is. And I have found that on occasion to be helpful, uh, but someone got back to me recently and said that they went to... Um, one of those offices and they felt as though they were siding with the doctor which is never a good thing when people feel as though uh, people are, are uh, uh, not hearing their question or their concern 
What about but the ombudsman? Those are the steps that you would take. What, what about the ombudsman, or in some cases referred to as ombuds office? I think they're yes. the one there for the Medical College of Wisconsin, right? Is that true? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, I haven't heard that word in some time. I was the ombudsman for my university as an undergraduate. Um, and so some of your larger organizations might have someone as that. But um, the steps that I've laid out um, are pretty much the ones to use. The administration office can direct your call to an ombudsman for that organization uh, to get to... Um, a, a plan that's going to be uh, acceptable to the person who is making that complaint. The other areas you really think you have an issue um, can go to your the risk management department where you really feel that something has been done and it's inappropriate. That is an office that upon receiving your complaint will research it, will research that complaint. Um, and I think some things that people often will do after the fact say, well, I'm going to sue this hospital or I'm going to sue this doctor. When um, I think that there's great room to do that which... Uh, uh, Brother Kojo is something you could speak to, really, and that's the area of mediation, because things may not always be as clear cut um, that there has been um, a injury and uh, a, a remedy, but um, there is some room to address your injury. As someone told me, you don't know how the judge is going to rule and you don't know what a jury is going to come back at. So I'm going to throw that question back your way from the standpoint of uh, the role that mediation might play and how uh, a patient could uh, get um, that ball started. And before, um, before you respond, brother, I have a question that both of you can um, feel free um, to respond to. We we only have about four minutes. Um, but after making those calls, the importance of following up um, with, a, um, with something in writing to the person you spoke with or to that office, if you guys could touch on that. Well, what's in writing is certainly much more helpful than just the phone call. And I think that's something that we as a group um, are often um, hesitant about taking that step. But once it is written, it makes it, I guess, easier for the various parties to 
um, know what your concern is and it's not subject to being interpreted uh, in a in a way that doesn't reflect what your real concern is. So and I also, definitely support uh, the value of putting things in writing. And also identifying what it is that you're looking for and resolution. That's always helpful. Brother you're not Cole, happy, and, how, and you're, not, you're stating you're not happy and you're stating what you feel would um, uh, be an acceptable uh, solution. Brother Kojo? Yeah, putting things in writing, you want to have documentary evidence as much as possible if you plan to go through the uh, litigation route. Um, however, going through the litigation route, you know, suing the bastards, using the adversary system, which is you know, a system that's kind of outdated and based on the old European style of justice, A wins, B lose, and winner take all. But now we have an alternative dispute resolution system which exists side by side to the legal system, which is designed to be a shortcut to justice because going through the legal system could take you maybe five years and then, you know, there's a lot of emotional uh, energy expended going through that system. And sometimes even when you win, you lose. So uh, mediation or resolution could be, you know, you could reach a better outcome. And also, if my loved one is, is in the hospital, I would be, you know, feeling kind of hesitant to file a complaint while they have care and custody. Uh, you know, like in my mother's situation right now, I want to take action. They lost her dentals, and I want to take action, but then I don't want them to mistreat her. <laughs> so, you know, you have to kind of walk that thin line between fighting or trying to resolve it in an informal manner. Dr. Well, there is a place to uh, report this to your insurance company. Medicare, uh, United Healthcare, whoever that you're paying premiums to, they need to know that you're not pleased with how you're being taken care of. And they also have some um, leverage in getting some things done. That's a lot to think about, though, when you're dealing with your feelings related to someone that you love who um, you feel is not being cared for in a manner that is acceptable. It really it really is. Um, and like Brother Pojo was saying of um, feeling that you, you're in between a rock and a hard place when you have your loved one um, under the care of um, especially someone who's right there, like you were saying, in the hospital, and um, and they're under that, that immediate care. It, it, it is a concern. That is something to think about in um, how you make your next move of uh, action. Um, 
this has been a wealth of information uh, and a a healthy um, discussion of um, how to to navigate and work through the system. My prayers are that um, the listeners um, have been able to take notes um, like I have um, to be able to um, feel comfortable in utilizing some of these um, techniques, put them in their toolkit, um, share with them. Yes. Excuse me, you you got you have a little bit of time and you have one caller at three three four four one four. Three three four four one four. Thank you, Dr. James. Good evening, everyone on the line. I'm just listening. I tuned in quite late, so I'm just gonna ride out the rest of the program. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Um again and and, and um just a wealth of information from from every from uh, from you, Dr. James, and and also from Brother Kojo from the standpoint of uh, the legal uh, perspective. It would be great to get more in depth um, um, in a discussion with that, which would be a later time. Um, I, I just um, like I said, I'm, I'm filled with a lot of information and a different perspective and how to look at what's going on behind the scenes of medical care um, and and how to advocate for ourselves um, based on the fact that we know that there's biases um, to have someone to walk this journey with you so you are not alone. Um, it's always best to have a second ear um, to interpret what's being said because a lot of times when you're sitting in that seat um, you don't hear everything you don't take in everything and to have another ear um, to record to take um, in information of um, who's in the room um, and what's being said to compare those notes it's always um, best to have a have a second uh, uh, someone to go in with you don't go alone Take me.